0: Amen. So tonight we are going to begin the long trek through the law of God. Uh, Of course, beginning with the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. Um, The commandments that God revealed on Mount Sinai, we've walked through Exodus all the way up to this point. We've seen God bring his people to Mount Sinai. Thunders, lightnings, earthquake, his presence descended on the mountain. uh, And uh, the people heard his voice and now we're given what they are given as they heard the commandments, uh, these 10 specifically, and then God will continue to speak in the, in the following subsequent chapters um, more and more about different laws and case studies and how those commandments are applied and all, all of those things. But last week we introduced the law of God and we did so by giving you the categories of law in the Old Testament. So there was The civil law, the ceremonial law, the moral law, and we showed why um, the moral law is the abiding principles that are eternal for all people, everywhere, all places, all times. We showed that the ceremonial law has been fulfilled in Christ. There's no more need for sacrifices, altars, uh, the the clean and unclean laws and all those kind of things because those have been fulfilled in Christ. And we showed how the civil law... Uh, the principles, the general equity of that law um, still apply as far as the principles that are embedded in those laws, but the actual laws, if your neighbor steals your ox, you give him 10 oxen and you go, those actual laws no longer apply to us for we're under a different, um, a different government, a different system than ancient Israel. And so we tried to make it clear that as we're walking through these laws, we are... Um, Uh, we're going to be distinguishing, and sometimes it's a little hard to distinguish those laws. Are there any questions about that after we have taken a week to kind of think about it and walk through it? Any questions about civil law, moral law, ceremonial law before we dive into the moral law aspects of the Ten Commandments? I must have did a good job then, I guess. Okay, so we're going to look at the commandments, and I wanted to take four or five at a time, but it's just not possible. There's so much that uh, we're going to need to talk about. There's so many questions that are going to need to be answered, and I'm sure you may have questions tonight that we'll end up in deep discussion about. Um, But, of course, we're going to start the Ten Commandments. We're going to be with the first two commandments. We may get to the third tonight. I kind of doubt it, but we're definitely going to try to get through the first two. Um, these are really familiar, you know, you probably could tell me what the first two commandments are, you know, don't have any other gods before me, don't make any graven images. If we talk through it, you could probably, you know, if we all put our heads together, we could probably just come up with all ten and we've heard them before, we've studied them before, we've been taught them before, uh, we know them, but when you study them carefully and we begin to apply them to our daily life as we seek to follow God's will, um, these commandments have amazing depth to them, and, and they really speak, um, they really speak <clears throat> heavily into, into our hearts. And that, that first use of the law that we talked about last week, how the law is intended to show us our sin, these first two commandments really, really do so. They, all the commandments, they, they reveal God's nature, they reveal His will, they tell us something about who He is, They reveal, of course, how we are to live. You know, the law was never meant to save us. You're not saved or made right with God by keeping the law because we can't keep the law and we never have and we never will. But it does show us our sin and push us toward the only one who can save us, which is Christ. But it also reveals God's standard, which never changes. And so, as we look in our own hearts and say, I can't meet that standard, I haven't met that standard, God's standard doesn't change. It isn't dumbed down to help us to reach Him, but it drives us to the Savior that He has sent, His Son that has kept the law, uh, and it shows us our need for Him. So, verse 1 and 2 of chapter 20, as basically we start these Ten Commandments, they're not technically commands, but they're an introduction, make sure you see this, to all of the commands. They're not just the introduction to the first commandment, they're the introduction to all of the commands. God is telling them why they are to keep these commands, and it's because of who he is, because of his nature. In verse 1 of chapter 20, it says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and then the first command, You shall have no other gods before me. So God is telling them in verse 1 and 2, lay the foundation for all of the commands that God is going to give. And the reason is because of who He is. It is because of what He has done. God is telling them why they are to keep these and what they are pointing to, the fact that He is the Lord. When the Lord in your English Bible is all capital letters, what word is it translating? Yahweh. That's right. I am Yahweh. I am the I am. I am who I am. I am that I am. I am the I am, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And so he is Yahweh. He is the I am that has saved you from slavery. He's told them from the beginning that as we walk through Exodus that he was freeing them from slavery in Egypt so that they might serve him. And now he is giving them, showing them what serving him looks like by giving them these commandments, these uh, ten, the Bible calls them ten words. Have you ever heard the word decalogue? That's what uh, the Ten Commandments are sometimes called, the decalogue. Uh, It just means the ten words. That's how the Bible describes it, the ten words. And so now he's going to show them what serving him looks like. And these show God's nature. They reflect the I Am to us. They're not arbitrary. They reflect His nature. And the first of these commandments, based on who God is and what He has done, is that we are to have no other gods before Him. We're to have no other gods before Him. And this this first command really lays the foundation for all of the rest of the commands. So before we talk about what kind of life god demands from us don't kill don't steal don't you know don't lie don't do all those things in one sense this really is the foundational command that is undergirding all the other commands because in in, in a sense not in a sense all sin is idolatry it's putting something before God, putting my own desire before God. So I want to steal. I don't trust that God is going to provide, so I go steal. I want to murder because I think I have, you know, you murder because of envy in your heart, pride, whatever reason. Uh, the, the sins that come about is, um, is in some sense all due to idolatry, putting something before God, doing my own will, not God's will. So the first thing we need to do is to view God rightly, and to view ourselves rightly. So when he says, you shall have no other gods before me, it's it's really strange how it's phrased. The you here is singular. It's not plural. He's talking to all the people of Israel. He's talking to them at the base of of Mount Sinai. And he said, you, singular, shall have no other gods before me. He's saying each of you, every single one of you, individually, shall have no other gods before me. God is demanding exclusive relationship with each and every one of His people where He is their God and they are His people. And He calls each and every individual to be faithful in worshiping Him alone, serving Him alone, uh, seeing Him as Lord and God above all other things. Now the way it's phrased, "You shall have no other gods before me," it's caused some really strange interpretations down through history. What are some What are some things you might think when you see the word "You shall have no other gods before me"? Huh? Idols. Idols well, of course, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about. But is is this verse? Yes, Ginger. Yeah, that is. Is this verse proof positive that there are other gods than God? Is that what he's intending to say here? No, Of course not. And you can go through all of Scripture and there's places in Deuteronomy, there's places in Isaiah where he says, "I, I am the only God. There is no other God. There was no God before me. There's none after me. You know, go to uh, Corinthians where Paul says, "All the idols are just wooden stone. They don't mean anything. they're not they're not anything." Um, what, he's, what he's saying here, he's not saying uh, you know you can worship other gods as long as they don't come before me. It's like I'm trying to tell you where my rank should be. The word before me means just in my presence, before my face. In my presence, you are to worship no other gods. And since there is no other god, and he is omnipresent in all places, omnipotent, Uh, We're not to love or worship anyone or anything as a God or as God is to be worshipped in addition to Him or alongside Him, the one true God. So He's already told us, or He he told us in Deuteronomy and Isaiah that there are no other gods. So this this command is not affirming other gods, as Ginger said, and as uh, several of you nodded uh, in agreement. The truth that He's imparting here is that is that Yahweh is the self-existent one and there are no other gods. All the other things that we worship as gods, trust in as gods, they're not gods, but yet we give many things the place that belongs to God. So they came out of Egypt, and Egypt had lots of gods, or what they claimed were gods, and we saw those as we walked through the exodus. They're not really gods, but they were worshiping them in the place of God. They were fearing them when only God is to be feared. They were giving homage to them. They were bowing down before them. They were honoring them. They were uh, trying to appease them. They were putting these things in the place that only God belongs. And, And so the idea is that in the human heart, in the human mind, There's no end to the number of gods that we can be devoted to, so we really need to see the danger of this. Now, in in Israel, and as they're talking to, as God's talking to them at the base of Mount Sinai, just coming out of Egypt, um, you know, of course, they're thinking about little trinkets and little idols and little statues and. And, and actual Egyptian gods with names and those kind of things. Um, today, for us in Mulvane, Kansas, that's probably not a real big issue um, well, with most of us. I would hope not in here anyway. You know, some places in the world it still is. But what are some things that take the place of God for us today? I'm talking about in our context. Now, if I was, if I was preaching about... If we were walking through the commandments, you know, in some tribal place in Africa, it would be a different context, and we would talk about different things. What are some things in our lives in Mulvane, Kansas, in 2023 that take the place of God? We could live for status, worship status, money. money. Money's always a big one. Huh? Power and pride. Sports. <laughs> You can't say that on Super Bowl week. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the reality is that anything, I mean, we could give you a list of a million, anything can be an idol. Anything that we love, that we trust in, that we need to be happy, anything that we hope for, anything that takes the place Anything that we fear in the place of God, you know, there's a lot of superstitious stuff that goes on. uh, Where, where, you know, I'm from Louisiana, and there's a lot of, you know, the whole, you know, that whole culture. There's a a lot of superstitious stuff goes on there. To be afraid of some of that stuff when that fear only belongs to God, who has all power and authority. That's idolatry. That's idolatry. That's putting something else before Him. To to trust in something. To trust in my riches or my my abilities, or good things. You know, God has given you family. God has given you friends. God's given you abilities. God's given you a job. God's given you all these things. They're gifts. They're blessings. They're good. There's nothing bad about them. But when we trust in those, when we put those as the focus of our life, when we when we have to have those in order to have joy and to be happy and to be satisfied, they become... God's, they take the place that only belongs to God in our lives. We, we really need to see the danger of idolatry in our own lives. It is, we, are, we are so susceptible to it. We're so susceptible to it. And oftentimes it creeps up on us and we don't even realize it until it's too late. We're susceptible to idolatry in our heart. Even the wisest people, the wisest man who ever lived, what was his name? solomon and he was so wise and so godly why because we know that because when god said i'll give you whatever you ask for what did he ask for he asked for wisdom could have asked for riches could have and we you know he he, proverbs and ecclesiastes and all the he is just the 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 wisest of wise people you know if there was ever something i would doubt in in scripture i don't doubt anything in scripture but if there was ever something it was that solomon was the wisest man The guy had 300 wives and 700 concubines. Not the wisest move. Not the wisest move. But even Solomon in 1 Kings 11 said, "...the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice." And he commanded him concerning this thing that he should go, not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I've commanded you, I'll surely tear the kingdom from you and you will give it to your servant. Solomon's many, many wives, we see in 1 Kings 11, led him into idolatry, led him into placing other gods before him. So, Today, none of us here, I would seriously doubt that any of us here are going to go home and pray to a statue of Astaroth or Molech or any of the Canaanite gods or anything like that. Nobody's probably going to go home and pray to Thor or Zeus or any of that kind of stuff. But we still are supremely susceptible to putting people, things, and other and, and just even our own stuff in the place that only God belongs. So, what you love and honor and admire above all else, that's your God. You know, what you desire, when, you, when your mind is free to roam, what do you desire? That's your God. You know, with, what consumes your thoughts and your intentions and your your attention, your purpose, your your drive in life, what consumes your drive, that is your God. What you trust in to bring you fulfillment or satisfaction and joy. Whatever you rely upon when difficulty hits. That's 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 a way I can know in my own life whether something's become an idol or something's become a false god. What do you run to when difficulty strikes? You know, when you're lonely or discouraged, you know, what do you trust in for rescue? You know, is it is it is it drugs or alcohol or sex or money or food or shopping, you know, or, or or whatever. These, you know, like well, some of them are, but shopping's not bad. You know, food is not bad. Money in and of itself is not bad. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Those things are not bad, but if that's, if that's what I run to to rescue me, if that's what I have to have to be happy, if that's what saves me out of my despair, or whether it's family or friends or fun or in, in enjoyment or jobs or my pension plan or whatever it is I rely on, that's my God. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of these things, but they can't be what we trust in because God is in control. God is the only one that should have that place in our life. It can't be where, our our hope can't be found anywhere else. Not in our jobs, not in our families, not in, nothing wrong with having enjoyment in families. So there's two ditches that we need to keep from falling into when we talk about idols and other gods, putting other gods in front of God. Um, The first is, um, the first is over-literalizing the putting other gods before him and to do that we say things like you know well I'm not really it's not really me putting another god before him because I don't really worship those things I'm just doing what I need to do it and we literalize and justify what we're doing to make it where it's not it's not me breaking this command and this doesn't hold the place of God but yes, it does control my life and it does run control my time and it does take up all of my energy and takes up all of my purpose and it, whatever this is, decides whether I'm happy or sad today and, and how it turns out and what is going on in my life. This, this determines my emotions and my mood and my joy and my everything. But it's not God to me. I still know that there's Jesus. We, we over-literalize the commandment. And the second ditch is we over-spiritualize the commandment where we say, oh, you can't have happiness in anything. You can't enjoy riding your four-wheeler. You can't enjoy eating. You can't enjoy shopping. Because if you enjoy any of these things, oh, you're putting something else before God. That's not true either. So we need to understand these things uh, in kind of a middle-of-the-road kind of sense. Does that make sense? Any questions, comments? There is a tendency for us to... just to find our... to find... to need... to need something in order to be happy, to need something in order to have satisfaction, to need something in order to have purpose in this life. And whatever that is, that's God to you. That is taking the place of God to you. So it is only Christ, it is only the Lord God who can fill that void in you. I tell, you know, sometimes husbands and wives, um, uh, all husbands and wives go through times of trouble and strife and, you know, things like that. And when Whenever they come and we talk through things almost, almost, not every time, but almost every single time, at the root of it, it's all different problems, it's all different issues, it's all different things, but at the very root of it, what you get down to is either the husband or the wife or both are trying to make their spouse fill the gap in their life that only Jesus can fill. So the husband is, is bitter and resentful and whatever because the wife is not filling this gap inside of me and they don't realize that they're a sinner just like you. Only Jesus can fill that. They're, they're, they're putting their own purpose their own needs their own whatever as their god and they're saying this person must be jesus in my life or vice versa wife does the same thing there are so many ways calvin said that our hearts are idol factories we can make an idol out of anything matthew henry said this he said pride makes a god out of self Covetousness makes a God out of money. Sensuality makes a God out of the belly. Whatever is esteemed or loved, feared or served, delighted in or depended on more than God, that whatever it is we do in effect make a God of. Matthew Henry said that. What are some other things that we make a God of that have the potential to be take the place of God in our lives? Huh? Comfort. Comfort. That's a big one, you know. Power, Power. church, church. Make it, no, you can't do that. You, no, yeah, church, religion. You can certainly make a god out of your, you know, out of your tithing, out of your attendance, out of your, you know, you, you certainly can make a god out of all the religious ritual, uh, for sure, for sure. Anything else? Honestly, honestly, the list is endless. So, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but I've lost a little bit of weight. Don't be clapping for that, please. And... What happened was what happened was, I got on this diet because I was up to like 245 at one point, and I'm 5'6". I'm like a round munchkin. Um, and I didn't care. I didn't care. I still look good. <laughs> but the doctor said my diabetic medicine wasn't working anymore, and we're going up on the next level, and that, you know, it scared me. It, you know... It was, But once I started saying, okay, now I'm going to buckle down, I'm going to lose some weight, I'm going to... I realized that food was a god to me. I needed it. I was... it, It was comfortable. It was enjoyable. It was readily available when I was feeling bad, when I was feeling down, when I was bored, when I needed... You know, it was... It had become... It had become... For me, it's not for everybody. I'm just telling you about me right here. So it's not that this is this way for everybody or... But just something simple that that God gave us. It's a gift from God. It's good. It's not bad. It's a good thing. Uh, And it had become what I needed to be happy, what I needed to have joy in life, you know. And the first couple of weeks I was on on this diet, you mean... you you can ask Dana and you can ask the staff like I was moping around here like man life just don't have no meaning to me anymore you know I can't have a cheeseburger I can't have a donut I can't have and it just became more and more clear you'd been you know you've been living all these years and just food had become your idol food had become your God and just how easy it happened how easy it happened. And if you would have asked me, I would have said, Well, no, food is not my. G-. But boy, you took it away, and it was like life all of a sudden don't have purpose anymore, which is dumb. You, I mean, we you know it does, and but that's the way you feel. It had taken the place of what is truly supposed to give me joy and purpose, my relationship with the one true God, knowing He is my provider, He is the one who gives me what I need. And when I abuse his blessings, when I, of course, you know, you're going to face the consequences of that, but it had become an idol. It had become an idol in my life. And so anything can become a quote-unquote God. It doesn't have to be a little wooden statue. I don't expect any of us are going to be going home and bowing down to our Ford trucks and Chevy trucks and beautiful homes and everything. things, but those things can become gods. They can take the place... That only belongs to the one true God. So, likewise, we can create a God. We'll talk about idols in just a minute in the second commandment. We can create a God in our own mind. When we refuse, when we refuse or deny God's word about Himself. You know, when, when God says He is just and holy and righteous. When we try to justify our sin and we say things like, well, you know, God knows my heart. That's not a big deal to him. He understands. He understands what I'm going through. You're creating a God in your own image. You know, if you love if you love pornography, then, you know, hey, my God's okay with pornography. If you love whatever, whatever, whatever particular sin that you may have or whatever, you know, if you love that and, and you say, well, God's okay with that. It's no big deal. It's not a big deal you're creating a God that doesn't exist because God has told us what He loves and what He does not love. He's told us what is right and wrong. I remember speaking to someone before a while back and there was things going on in their life and we're talking about about judgment. We're talking about condemnation. And I said, you know, something about eternal punishment and they said well my god doesn't send people to hell there's there, you know they didn't believe in hell they're, my god doesn't punish people eternally and, and i basically said well you're correct because your god doesn't exist it's not real so no your god doesn't punish people eternally but the one true god does and that's the one you have to be worried about so when you you look at the command this way you will have no other gods before me what you find is that each of us, every day, maybe in every moment of every day, we are continually breaking and understanding how we have broken this commandment. And what that does, as we look at all the commandments, what that does, when you look at your own sin and your own idolatry and your own uh, putting things like, like where I had to face the, putting food above God... Uh, or taking the place of God in my life, Uh, when you look at that and you, you see it, you've got really two options when you look at this command. You can either dumb the command down and say, oh, well, you know, it's not really technically that. I still believe in Jesus and I still... Uh, trust in him and i still believe there's god there there is indeed a god and and you dumb it down to where it doesn't affect you anymore and and i haven't broken this command and we view ourselves as, as better than we are Or you look at this standard and you judge yourself by the holy standard that He has put forth in this commandment. We don't diminish the requirement in order to excuse our own sin or justify our failure to keep this commandment and to exalt Him as God, give Him the honor and the glory in our lives that He deserves. And when we see ourselves for who we are and evaluate our hearts honestly, what does this law do? The first use of the law it drives us to the gospel so what happened when what happened when i realized over the course of those times that food had become my idol did i did i say god i've been breaking the first command for years and i've put this thing this enjoyable thing this gift that you've given me and i put it in place of you in the sense that in the sense that I need this to enjoy life. I need this for my purpose. I need this for my, for my happiness. I, you know, I depend on it. I, I run to this when I'm in trouble, when I'm feeling bad. When I, This is what I run to. This is what I take solace in. I, did I just fall down and say, well, I, I'm doomed. I'm despairing. Either. No. I ran to the gospel and I said, Father, forgive me because I have, I've broken that command. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for, thank you for taking that sin upon yourself. Thank you for taking the Son, taking that sin upon himself, that I might be forgiven for that. And I walk in the truth of the gospel, the first use of the law. It drives us to the gospel. Is there any questions? I've been rambling for like 10 minutes. Is there any questions, Jaya? Okay. The only way to live this command out, the only way to live this command out to walk in this command, is for our hearts to be changed so that God changes us and our affections, our love for the true God in all of his holiness, in all of his righteousness, replaces all the other loves that we have of this sinful world. That's the only way. You can't buckle down and do it out of duty. You can't buckle down and say, I'm just going to muscle my way through keeping these commandments. You can't. You can't. You're not, you're not devoted enough. You're not determined enough. You're not committed enough. None of us are. You don't possess the ability. The only way to walk in these commands is to have a heart that loves Jesus more than all other things in this world. And the only way that happens is through our communion with God. First, in salvation, justification, and then the daily walk of sanctification as He's molding and making us. Questions, comments? All right, second command has to do kind of the same thing, but different. First command had to do with worshiping the right God. Second command has to do with worshiping the right God the right way. We can't worship Him however we choose. How we worship matters as much as whom we worship. Now, I'm going to ruffle some of your feathers on this because I've had to think deeply about this this week, uh, which is why I'm a little scattered because I've spent a lot of time, I've spent time usually that I usually do getting it all organized to present, trying to figure out my position. So it says, you shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. There's a whole lot going on in there. Uh, I'm basically just going to try to give you what I got, and then we'll take some questions after. I'm sure there will be some. This is not just a restatement of the first command. We've already been told we can't worship other gods, but it is a prohibition of visible representations uh, of God as our worship is directed toward them. Does that make sense? So an idol is something, of course, we've talked about it a minute ago, that's crafted, whether out of wood, stone, metal, uh, any representation of the mind that is false, uh, that makes God an idol, uh, why do you think God commands no image representing him as we worship Him? Does it want you to worship the image rather than rather than the God? The, the only God, that's true. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, how could we know? so any any image, uh, later in Deuteronomy 4, Moses will say, you saw no form when God spoke to you and gave the Ten Commandments. Therefore, be careful not to make any images. When you... Any image or likeness that we conceive of, that we draw, that we craft, that we make, it will always, always be a representation of what the artist thinks God looks like. Always. It has to be. Because... Nobody knows. And so any representation that we might envision is by definition automatically a distortion. And it is trusting in what either an artist or a sculptor or a movie director or a whatever uh, believes this person that you know, God looks like or is like. God is spiritual, invisible, omnipotent omnipresent and you cannot image that you cannot represent that in any way shape or form with anything in creation so to represent him as a being of material limited form is just automatically a falsehood and it diminishes god's true nature god can't be portrayed by anything in this creation he is completely other The second commandment is simply saying God is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. No one knows, no one who truly knows God as a living reality needs an image to aid in their devotion or in their worship or anything like that. No one who daily communes with Christ requires an image to help them pray and adore them. So before before leaving Sinai, look, this is this was such an issue with them. Before leaving the mountain, you, it was particularly tempting for them. It didn't take them long. It wasn't years. It wasn't even months before Moses had just been gone into the mountain for too long. In Exodus 32, and what happened? Yeah, they made a golden calf. And the thing that so many people don't notice uh, as they read through the text, I wonder if I put it up there. I did. Listen, it says, When the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron. They said to him, Up, Make us gods. The word Elohim in Hebrew is always plural. So it's always plural. Whether it's talking about God or gods, uh, plural, it's always plural. So there is some discussion about whether they're talking about God or gods. Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man brought us up out of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. And then it says, so Aaron said to them, take the rings off, you know, the gold, all the stuff, your sons, bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it, graven tool. I'm trying to go fast. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, look at it, he built an altar before it, the calf. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. When Lord is all capital, it's... They were going to worship Yahweh in the form of a golden calf. So it wasn't wasn't just the, the, the calf god of Egypt that they were going back. They were going to worship a feast to Yahweh with this golden calf. They were breaking the commandment that they had been given. Now, there's a question that you're dying to ask me. What's the question? If you don't ask, I'm not going to answer it because I don't want to answer it. Yes? 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 The cherubim. Yeah. Right. Everybody hear that? Okay. So she asked about no images, but he did tell them to carve the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the cherubim on top. And we can go even further than that. If you look in the tabernacle and the temple, there were carvings of uh, flowers and angels, and it was kind of a representation of the Garden of Eden throughout the tabernacle. This command is not forbidding uh, the carving of artistic things or symbols in and of themselves. It is, it is forbidding um, the making of representations of God in worship. It's make, the making of uh, representations of... You know, in... in in these times, you know they would, you know, we talked about in the prophets several times how a man would go and cut a tree down, and he would carve an idol out of a piece of it, and then he would make food out of some of the wood, and he would whatever, and he'd worship the idol. It was making any representation of the one true God and using that in worship. that makes sense. So it's not necessarily like art or anything like that that can't be, but that brings up the question that I thought you were going to ask. What about representations of Jesus? Is it a sin to have a, you know, a nativity? (laughs) Is it? So, everybody here? Is it the guy that we see in all the pictures with the blue eyes and the. So that's the question that I've been pondering for days on end. Um, he was fully human as well as fully God. And that's where I'm just going to tell you where I come down, and we can debate it if you want to. I'm, I'm happy to do that. Um, yes, if you lived in the first century you would have seen Jesus with your eyes. You would have, if, this is stupid, but if you, if you got in a time machine with a digital camera and went back to the first, you would be able to take a picture of Jesus because he was walking around Galilee. He's walking around Jerusalem. He was a real man. But the picture that you took of him can only capture his humanity. It can't capture the divinity that is also in his person. It can't capture the pictures that you see. Here's where I fall on it, just, and then we'll discuss it. I am not going to say, and I don't think it's wrong, to have things like pictures of Jesus, nativity scenes, um, you know, the, the Chosen show, though I've never seen an episode, Passion of the Christ, that movie, you know, that we, we use in children's church, we use little videos that have little, you know, Jesus. flannel graph. How many of y'all remember flannel graph? Everybody remembers flannel graph. I don't think it's wrong to use those, but here's my caveat. And I'm, I was, basically, I thought through this and prayed through this this week knowing that I'm accountable for what I say to God before you in this. Here's my caveat. If you, if you watch like the chosen series or whatever i've never seen it i don't know if it's good bad or indifferent whatever i've heard some people say this some people, i don't i don't watch it but if you watch it and that actor is who you think of that face is what you think of when you're praying when you're worshiping when you're thinking of jesus when you're you know in your devotions to jesus yeah that's a problem if something that is said on that T V show that is not, you know, like the Jesus movie's kind of straight from the Bible, you know, and they use the Bible as the text. I can understand that. Uh but you know there's 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 Creative license given in things we don't know about, and what might have happened, and whatever. If something is said in that, and you take that to be to, to in your unconscious thinking of this is what Jesus is like, and that's who you're praying to, that's who you're worshiping, that's what you're thinking of when you are you know spending time with the Lord or worshiping. Lord. Yeah, that's a problem. That's a problem because that is an artist rendering. That's not something that is taken directly from scripture. That's not something you know. So I'm not going to say no. You can't have pictures of Jesus in your house, or no. You can't have nativity scenes, whatever. But if 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 it is informing or influencing the way that your mind and your heart are are. Reaching out to Christ and devoted to Christ in your worship and your prayers, and then yeah, that's a, that's that's a problem. Well, wow. sure, sure. Well, the, blood, he, the hes talking about communion, the Lord's Supper, being a remembrance of Him. The difference is he doesn't, he doesn't outlaw symbols. So we have symbols all over the place, you know, in, in the temple, in the tabernacle, and, you know, there's symbols of, and the bread and the wine, uh, the cup of the new covenant is blood, are a symbol of remembrance. And what we're talking about here is not a symbol that refers to something else or remembers something else. We're talking about an image that represents something else in in your thinking, in your mind, in your worship, in your in your um, devotions. I've, I, this is where I come down, and I understand if it's not where everybody comes down. So you feel free to disagree, push back, whatever. It's okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. hmm well and honestly that is the whole iconoclast iconodule fight that happened in the eastern church and the western church for centuries are we going to have icons are we going to have pictures depicting there's literally statues of jesus in some places in the world where the feet are just you know are the feet of them are just rubbed away from centuries of people coming and and bowing down at his feet and kissing his feet and and those kind of things. So um, there is there is a reality that is is um, is cautionary. Like I said, I, I'm not going to say. For me, I choose not to. And let me tell you why. Uh, I thought about this this afternoon. I choose not to watch the Chosen. It might be great. I don't know. I choose not to have any pictures, uh, representations in my house. Uh, we're not going to have any hanging in the foyer, um, and. The reason I do that is because I can remember when The Passion of the Christ came out. You remember that movie that when, you know, and I watched it. I went and watched it. And, you know, there, I mean, there were some things in there that I was like, eh, wait a minute. But overall it's a good movie. And it was very graphic and it was very, you know, it portrayed the beating and the cross. And and I remember weeks after seeing that that it just colored my thinking whenever i went to god in prayer whenever i was worshiping in song in the church i mean it just those images just colored everything and not that's not necessarily a bad thing if it's accurate and it was true but i couldn't help but i couldn't help but equate jim Cavizzo with jesus you know that's his face i'm looking at when i'm when i'm when i'm praying and i'm and that's that's not that's not correct. That's not right. Um, and so I want scripture. That's why God chose the foolishness of preaching and the word of God to give us uh, what we need. Now there is a sense, like we said earlier, Jesus is the image of God. So God says you won't create any more any images when you worship me. But He gave us the image the image Jesus is the perfect image of the invisible God it tells us in so we do understand that yes he he was a real human being and that's why i don't really have i mean i'm not i'm not going to go ballistic if you see a picture of Jesus i mean he was a middle eastern man that's what he looked like and so you get a picture of a middle eastern man you say this might have been what he looked like okay fine but that doesn't capture his deity. That doesn't capture his true nature. And even today, that's not what he looks like right now because he's glorified with a new body. Uh, he is still God, still man, at the right hand of the Father in a glorified body. Uh, and so there are so many things to um, there are so many things to take into consideration. I tend to err on the side of caution and say I'm just not. Uh, I'm just not going to. I'm not going to do that. There are some things that, you know, I thought about this afternoon. Like, I I won't deprive children of watching little, you know, gospel videos that have a a picture or caricature of Jesus talking to his disciples or fishing. I I wouldn't do that. The Jesus movie has been sent all over the world and has been used to bring people to faith. I mean, I I, I wouldn't deprive people of that either. Um, I, I just... Say this with with the caveat that you just have to be careful that you realize that any picture, drawing, movie, whatever that you're seeing, um, if it if it informs how you think of Jesus when you are praying, worshiping, speaking to Christ, reading His Word, then it that that is certainly a problem. Okay, and it, God is Spirit. Nope, nope. The Father is spirit and um, says no one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son has revealed him to us. Yes, yes. Any questions? Don't be egging my car when I leave here. Okay, go ahead. Well, I'd go see the Ark for sure, but we're not talking about the Ark. We're not talking about what we're talking about images. Yeah. Well, I I I don't know that I'd go and see if it's so. Like on Good Friday, when we show you know we might show a picture on the on the deal of Jesus on the cross. You know, I'm no problem with that as long as we understand. That is an artist's rendering. That is not something that can color our imagination as we as we pray to God, as we pray to Jesus, as we speak of Jesus. As long as we're careful to understand that any image, anything that you see carved, anything, any drawing that's made, you know, I've got, I used to have, you know, everybody's got that, grandma's got that Jesus picture in the house. Everybody's got, you know, you've seen it a million times. But you got to you've got to agree that's out of somebody's mind. That's not that that's not a real picture of Christ. And so you have to take into account that we have to take we have to take our living relationship with the living Christ and we have to um, the gist of the command is to not use images in worship. So the idea of me going and walking around looking at a nice statue is technically not what we're talking about. It's when that statue and that face is influencing me in the way that I worship, and the way that I think about Christ as I'm praying. That's the, that's the gist of the command. Does that make sense? So I wouldn't I would balk heavily against an image of the father for sure everywhere everywhere including Michelangelo I would balk uh, I would not like that at all but God sent the son in human nature and human nature has a form and we could see his form if we were live back then we would see his form if you were an artist back then and you could draw you could draw his form and you would have his form so I don't really have a big I don't have a problem with depictions of the form of the humanity of christ as long as we understand even jesus on the cross when you see a picture of jesus on the cross we can revel in the fact that god you know jesus has given his life for our sacrifice but that picture doesn't it doesn't do justice to the victory of the cross it doesn't do justice to the suffering and the wrath of god being poured out on the Son. it doesn't do justice to any of that it doesn't depict that in the way that that most honors God, and that would show us the the fullness of it. So there, it's always going to be lacking. Always going to be lacking. So in the second commandment, what I'm saying is, when we're talking about the Son, not the Father, not the Spirit. When we're talking about the Son and the humanity of the Son, I don't mind seeing the you know a statue or a picture or whatever, a portrait, whatever you know, but We have to be cognizant that that is an artist's rendering and it cannot color our thinking as we worship the risen Christ. Okay? Matt, what do you want? sure sure it yeah it's yeah yeah we take every thought captive to christ we fight our own hearts not to put idols in the place of god and we fight you know the images that the world shows us or or even you know other you know michelangelo's got several paintings the last supper da vinci's last supper i mean there it is right there is that I mean, okay, but we have to understand Jesus was a Middle Eastern man, and we're gonna we're gonna let the Bible color our, uh, inform our consciences as to how we should worship Him, who we are worshiping, what He is like, what all those things. We we um, we let the Bible be sufficient for that. I don't know if I've explained that very well, but that's the best I can do. No. Huh? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, and, yeah, I I agree. Yes, Frank. I won't. I won't be worshiping any images, any statues, any portraits, any pictures. And the, if you, there's some Greek Orthodox, Roman Catholic, they make a distinction between worship and veneration when they're talking about their the saints and all that stuff. I don't. I don't observe that. I don't recognize that distinction. That's it's worship. And so I, I'm going to stay so far away from that. Uh, yes, Sharon. Say that again. In your mind? What does Jesus look like? Then you're being influenced by an artist rendering. I would... Well, I mean, we've got the whole long-haired... Jesus with the blue uh, eyes—you know—that's just the picture we have of Jesus that everybody touts everywhere. That comes from you know where it comes from. I don't know, but we—you have to understand that's probably not what Jesus looked like. The Bible says that he wasn't of you know of extraordinarily beauty of form. He was you know, in fact, on the cross he was marred beyond recognition, and he's a Middle Eastern man. I mean, uh, we have to we have to we have to make sure that it's god's word that informs what we think of christ and what we think of god and how we think of god and how we interact with god um you know i mean now that we've talked about it i'll go home and pray tonight and i'll be thinking that picture yeah so i mean that's gonna be a you know it's not i'm not necessarily saying that you know i don't know it's well, I don't know. Somebody help me out here, John. Isn't that the with all the symbols that we have like is the symbol? But if we take it to where it needs more, but does something beyond this sort of symbol, the song, we take the Lord's supper and we think that it does something to us, but we found something that not. That's not the issue. Yeah. Uh yeah i'm not i think i came into this discussion saying i'm not i'm not going to be outlawing pictures and all that stuff but we just need to be careful that it's not we just need to be cognizant of the fact that anytime you see it anytime you see a statue anytime you see a picture you're looking at an artist's rendering yes dave That's that's a good distinction. You don't pray to the picture. You don't pray to the statue. You don't worship the statue. And it's not an aid in worship. So either. So it's not a. It's not as if we need. We need a physical representation, to aid God in hearing us or aid our prayers to get through. No, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. You know, so that's a good 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 distinction. Yes. Rosary beads, yeah, yeah. Well, most rosary beads have a little crucifix on the end of them. So, yeah, I don't. But that's a whole different discussion because each rosary bead is a prayer. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women, blessed. And you just do it in rote fashion over and over and over and over again. That in itself is a problem. Don't, Jesus said, don't pray so that your words are you know magnified over and over and over again you pray in this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So, yeah. Well, a lot of them will just say that's how I keep up with the number of, you know, each bead is how I keep up with the number of Hail Marys and the number of, Yes? There's no way for me to know that. I don't, I have no idea. I have no idea. Uh, pr- I wouldn't think so. I mean, I to honor Christ, just, sure. And, and okay, I, I may not have been real clear. Jesus was a man, is a man. A man is the image of God that God has given us as his perfect image. It tells us in the New Testament, he is the express image of the invisible God. So to, so to portray that image, which was given to us as an image, is not necessarily wrong in and of itself. But to worship, uh, to worship a depiction of that image that it comes It can only come from the mind of a human because there was no Polaroids, there was no photographs, there was no anything. That depiction can only come from the mind of an artist and to use that in worship or to use that in our veneration or to use that in how we inform ourselves of who Jesus is and how we interact with Him, that's the problem. Does that make sense? So like I'm not going to be, I'm not, you know... If I come to your house and you got a picture of the, the Jesus that everybody's seen for the last 50 years in your house, I'm not gonna say nothing. I, whatever, I'll, you know. But if you say, "Okay, let's pray for lunch for supper," and you go and kneel down in front of the picture, yeah, I'm gonna say something. Okay, we're yes. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she basically said use these things as a tool rather than praying to them, worshiping them, and that's uh, that's fine as long as we understand that all of that is not. So the passion of the Christ is, uh, you know, as far as it's biblical and lines up with the scripture and depicts exactly and and speaks exactly what's in the scripture, okay. But every part that is creative license is from the mind of the director, from the mind of the artist, from the mind of the writer. Every sculpture you see is from the mind of the sculptor, you know, how they perceive it. And therefore, it, is, it should be taken with caution. That's all I'm saying. Okay? I wouldn't even get to the fact that he visited the iniquity of the fathers on the children... Huh? you don't do that next week? Okay, yeah, I don't do generational curses, so that that's out. That's out. Nothing makes me more angry than that. It says of those who hate me, the children hated them too, just like the fathers. That's the problem. So we'll get to some of that next week if you want to. Father, we do love you, we thank you. God, we uh, got us a tough uh, a tough application for all these things. Help us just to just to come to them. Um, with uh, open Bibles, uh, God and uh, open hearts, as we uh, rightly and honestly uh, just assess our own hearts, God, it, it, it's not uh, we don't have to fight to justify ourselves whether we've broken these commandments. I assure you, we have all of them, uh, God, and I thank you for the gospel. So, God, help us to walk in spirit and truth, and help us to um, help us to understand uh, the reality that you've forgiven us in Christ, and that we are. Um, we're yours because of grace, and we desire to keep the law because we desire to please you, not to earn our status before you. So God, help us to um, just be more cognizant about what it means that you are God, deserving the rightful place in our life, and uh, that we are so prone to make idols. God, help us to see them for what they are. We do thank you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen.